Okay, so welcome to episode four of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Uh, thank you to everyone who's tuned in so far. Don't forget, feel free to flick this to friends. Um, we're available on all good spots where you can get your podcast. And for the ones that you can't get it from, it's obviously not a good spot. That's right. So today we are going to be talking about sex and church. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff around this, obviously. I mean, sexuality is a, a huge thing within um, faith-based uh, areas and and, and this, I dare say this will not be the only episode we'll ever do on this topic. No, no, absolutely not. And it'll probably be weaved in and out of a lot of stuff because it, it is a, an enormous focus that personal purity. Um, so anyway, I think um, T, you've got a, a, some really good examples around this, and um, we're going to kick off with you. So remembering, I started in the revival centre, which again is a cult. Um, I think it's really important, though, to, to highlight that because our experiences, B, were very different, that I came from this religious cult yeah. and then joined the Assemblies of God or the mainstream sort of Pentecostal yeah. scene, and, and, and you didn't. And so that's going to colour my stories. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think it is quite different. I mean, obviously, the Assemblies of God, the cultish type behaviour, but certainly not the hardcore cult that you, you came from. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. So the revival centres were obsessed with, Sex. Yeah. It was actually, you know, as, as young people, the dangers and the evils of sex. Um, you could be kicked out of the revival centres for life for having sex. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Having they, sex outside of marriage. marriage yeah, yeah. And they would force marriages. Young people would um, not even have full frontal intercourse. They could just touch each other, yeah. you know, um, dry hump or whatever, and and they and the church would force them to get married. God. Yeah, I know. It's pretty crazy. So. There's no doubt that I was a bit warped and messed up by the whole sort of, you know, revival centre around sex. Um, so, so that's where I'd come from. And in between the revival centre and joining the AOG, I just went and partied and clubbed and, you know, just a whole lot of, you know, I guess I'd call it maladaptive coping strategies, right? Yeah. Um, and part of that was I had girlfriends and I slept with them and, you know, I had, you know, it was the 80s, you know, so there was you know, one night stands and all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't, I certainly wasn't a prude, um, but I think my views of sex is I, I, I took it probably, I was more intense about it, I think, because of my time in the Revival Centre. But when I joined the the AOG and what we're calling Great Big AOG, yeah. which was, you know, one of the largest in the cities that we lived in, they also were quite prudish or quite serious, I think, about sex. And and when I joined, there was a young girl who was basically on the fringes of the church. Yeah. She was on her way out. Okay. And I was on my way in. And we kind of met metaphorically at the door. And I think, you know, she saw that I'd come in, you know, dressed in sort of, you know, clubbed out sort of gear and, you know, very sort of trendy and fashionable and all that kind of thing. Um, and she had, you know, she'd been very church her whole life. And I think she was attracted to that. But she was, you know, attracted to where I'd come from more than maybe just me. Yeah. So she actually started up a relationship with me um, and, and I with her. She was a very pretty girl. And I wasn't interested because I was like trying to get into church and trying to be more religious. I'd, you know, really recommitted myself at that point. And she was the opposite. Yeah. So when we started hanging out and, you know, seeing each other at night and that kind of stuff, she was pressing me to have sex. Yeah. And I was like, 
no, I don't want to do that. That's, you know, I wanted to be more, you know, more for Jesus and more religious and that kind of thing. But she, she was very pretty, right? And, and I was still, you know, only in my low 20s. Um, and so a couple of times we did, right? We, we did have sex. And she was all very new to it. Yeah. And, and I wasn't. And so I won't pretend that it was great, but it happened, right? So anyway, a few months later, you know, we'd stopped seeing each other and she actually left church and went out and she basically went to where I'd come from. She started clubbing and, you know, drinking and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, God bless her. And off she went. But a few months later, I get a call from the, one of the youth pastors. Yeah. I'm going to call him Pastor Jay. And um, Pastor Jay rings me up and says, hey, you know, seeing you've been coming along to the church and all that kind of stuff, and I'd really like to get to know you and everything. Um, do you want to meet up? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And, and, and he lived not far from me. And um, I didn't have a car. So he said, look, I'll come and get you. We'll go for a drive. You know? okay. So I said, oh, okay, cool. So he, he came, picked me up, and we went for a drive. And we're driving around the streets of my suburb. And he's talking to me, and he's asking me all these questions about, you know, where have you come from? And... You know, all really sort of generic, I don't know, concerned questions. It was nice, you know what I mean? He was genuinely asking me about who I was. And the church that I come from, unless you're in trouble, the pastors didn't talk to you at all, right? The, yeah. the cult that I come from. Okay. So this was actually really good. And and I was thinking, this is this is cool. And he's asking me about, you know, how did I come to know God? And I you know, told him about where I'd come from a little bit. I didn't go into too, too much detail because at the same time, because he was called pastor, I didn't trust him. Yeah. Because of you know the whole cult. That's that's fair enough. Yeah. And so yeah, we're we're driving along and it's it's all going well and you know he's I was feeling really good and I was thinking this you know this church is so different to where I've come from and isn't it great and it's so much better and I was feeling really good about my choice and as we turned into my street probably drove for about forty minutes and he started to ask me all these questions and everything and it just seemed to show a genuine interest in me a genuine concern anyway turned into my street and. As we're coming up to my place, he he um he pulled over and then he says to me, he looked looked at me with this concerned look, and he goes, "Look, I've heard a rumor." And I was like, "What?" And then at that moment, as you can imagine, everything that I had experienced from my cult experience just came rushing back. Yeah, of course. You know, he's like, "I've heard a rumor," and then he starts asking me if I had been sleeping with S. Yep. And. I just looked at him and in my mind was I will never experience what I've experienced in the cult ever again. Yeah. This is not your business, I was thinking to myself. So he's asking me questions. I just denied everything. Yeah. But he's asking me, did, did you sleep with it? Who initiated it? All this kind of stuff. And I just was denying it. No, I didn't. No, no one initiated it. She, you know, and just denied. And he kept asking. He kept asking because he'd heard it. Yeah. And he obviously believed it. Okay. And he was trying to get me to confess that this was what was going on. And I just denied it, denied it, denied it. And then he, he said, oh, okay. You know, he got out of the car. I got out of the car and drove away. And I just remember as he drove away, looking at him and just thinking, looking at him driving away and just thinking, this is the same. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's, he's sitting there asking me about, you know, part of me was sort of saying to myself, oh, I could have told them yep. because this isn't the revival center. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to a friend of mine who I'll call R, um, who, who's sort of, you know, evangelizing me into great big AOG. And he said, yeah, you could have, you could have told them. It's not the same. You could have told them. But part of me was just going, no. Nah. Did, he, did he let up? 
after that, was there any more questioning or? No, there wasn't any more questioning from, from then. But after talking with R, yeah. I went to see another pastor in our church, another youth pastor who I'll call Pastor B. Yeah. And I went and saw him and told him. Okay. And said, actually, Pastor Jay came and asked me all these questions. That, and he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm really glad. And, and he was really cool about it, you know. Okay. It, wasn't like, it wasn't like the Revival Centre where it's like, oh, really? Okay, well, see in hell. You know what I mean? Like, goodbye, and you're never coming back. Because they kick you out for life. Yeah. Um, he was actually quite warm about it and said, oh, you know, okay, well, you know, we just need to know because we need to keep purity in our church and right. all this, which we can unpack in a moment. But the other thing is he said to me, is he said, what really concerns me though, T, is why didn't you tell us in the first place? Yeah. And I said to him, because I don't know you. Yeah. And why would I tell you? And, and again, he was, you know, very sort of accommodating and warm and all that kind of thing. Um, and I walked out of there feeling really, really good. Was there any consequence for that? Or? Well, it's funny you should say that because I walked out of there feeling really, really good. Yeah. But what I didn't know was in their minds, there's a big black book yeah. and there was a big tick put next to my name or a big cross, however you want to look at it, right? Yeah. Put next to my name that day that, oh, this is the guy that joins our church and bangs young girls that have been in our church their whole lives. Yeah. You know, um, and again, at that time, I'm not saying I see it this way now, she, she, she was the one that came on to me. She was the one that, you know, put... Um, but even still, even if she did, who cares? Yeah. It, it was none of their business. So that's a story that's really stuck with me. Yeah. Because who goes to someone and asks them, and remember, I wasn't... Okay, at that stage... I wasn't a teenager anymore. I know this is, I was a teenage fundamentalist. I was in my low 20s. Yeah. Um, but who goes and asks a 20-something who you don't know, who you're sleeping with? And What do you think is behind that? Like you said before that, um, you know, they need to keep purity. Do you think that's what's behind it, that they see themselves as the keepers of the purity? I, I, I think there's a number of things going on there. Yeah. Um, I think with Pastor Jay and getting to know him a little bit later, he wanted to know... He wants to know everything that's going on. Yeah. Right? And especially gossip and that kind of thing. And yeah. this girl, she's very pretty. And she was known throughout the church as being very pretty. Yeah. And I dare say, um, on some sort of weird warped level, you want to know who the pretty girl's banging, especially if she's not banging you. He, I obviously know Pastor Jay as well, and that I definitely identify with the whole needed to know everything. Mm. I often got mm. questioned on many things. Um, and he definitely would try and get intelligence from me on mm. different things as well. So, yeah, what what was behind it, I don't know. But I, I definitely think he tried to be across everything and be the eyes and get people to be the eyes and the ears for mm. him. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think there's also a level of trust that, you know, if they can get you to tell them your deepest, darkest secrets and, you know, and most intimate details, then they've got a, a level of, control a level of hold over you um you know like even a school teacher yeah. doesn't have this sort of level of control and they're some of the most controlling people in our lives you know growing yeah. up so i think that was part of it but coming back to what you said about the purity yeah there was i think pastor b actually said to me that you know there's verses in the old testament about needing you know like this the sin in the camp yeah. and they needed to remove the sin from the camp um, meaning that 
it would affect the entire church yeah. if people are sinning secretly yep. in the church, right? And that's the way that they saw premarital sex. So I think that was definitely a part of it, the purity. The purity of the entire group depended on two young people's genitals, Yeah, which is pretty fucking full on. Right? Yeah. But I think that's genuinely how they see it. So I don't think it's just that they want to know your deepest, darkest secrets um, for, for the sake of intelligence, as you put it. I think there is actually a doctrinal, dogmatic kind of belief that they are supposed to know and they need to know. There's also strange responses to it, though. I, I remember in that group that there were a couple of people caught for lack of a better word sleeping together obviously not in the act but very similar to you um people had dogged them in um and i remember he he definitely got the blame for it and he was removed from the fold for like three months Mm. he was banned from coming Mm. um and no pun intended and he didn't he didn't come along for three months and i even at the time i thought to myself because i'd heard about, you know, this was about grace, it was about love, it was about acceptance. But do something wrong and you don't get that. And mm. it, it doesn't, it just didn't ring true to me. Even at that time, I just remember thinking, this is so contradictory. It was quite bizarre that uh, the response to that was cast this guy out mm. um, and cut him off for a few months. That'll teach him. Mm. Um, all it well, well, that was very much the Revival Centre. That's how the Revival Centre started it. Um, originally, they didn't kick you out for life. They kicked you out for a time. Yeah. And But I think the pastor started to see um, that it wasn't stopping anything. Mm. So he just made the punishment more severe, longer, 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 until eventually you're out forever. And then they started to claim, you you know, you're out forever eternally, you know? Yeah. So, and, and you know that these guys all came from the same, cut from the same block. They all have sort of, you know, a, a, a beginning together. So yeah, that, that's interesting that they were doing that, kicking people out for a period of time. Yeah. There was a couple of guys that I knew yeah. directly that it happened. So it wasn't hearsay. I'd, I'd known them. But you know, what's interesting about that too, that I was find fascinating is, um, there's, there's a list of sins, yeah. you know, throughout the New Testament, you know, like, and, and sexual immorality, as they call it, is one of them. But there's drunkenness, there's thieving, there's lying, there's slandering and all that. Did they put them out for that? Well, this was also a, you know, a, a mega church as such. It was full of incredibly wealthy people. There was a lot of greed. There certainly wasn't a great deal of social justice. There wasn't... There was none at all. No, no. No, well, I, I remember... Maybe um, later on, but not at the start. Yeah, well, I remember um, a, a couple of occasions where some people who'd been living rough on the street came in and they were ushered out quite quickly to sit up the back and not be amongst the fold because they might have smelt a little bit. Mm. So, you know, I, I think there was a lot of judgment, but that wasn't seen as a, a purity issue. Mm. You know, oh, well, sorry, it was seen as a purity issue. It removed them, they're impure. But um, the, the purity of the body in actually the body of Christ as they saw it in accepting people, loving them, showing them grace mm. certainly wasn't up there on the list. It was making sure that they, they were protectors of the morals mm. more so. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, though, how they think that, you know, what happens between two people, you know, two young people or older people, whatever, affects the entire group. Yeah. You know? And the other thing that I think is interesting is how did they find out? Yep. You know, like with, um, it must have come from S's side. She must have told someone um, who, you know, and, and, and confessed or felt bad or whatever. I don't know. And mm-hmm. then they, some, and then somehow it filtered back to Pastor Jay. Because it certainly didn't come from 
from my side. Yeah, well, they didn't have the technology of us all being nano-chipped after the COVID <laughs> vaccine back then. So, No, no yeah. indeed. But yeah, you're right. I, I think that people, and potentially with good intention, would be on the lookout yeah. for these things happening. But, but that's what I mean, how they find out. And it's, it's, a, it's a degree of betrayal. Yeah. Because, like, for example, if I came to you and said, and, and this is how it would have happened then, oh, I feel really bad, um, yeah. we actually had had sex, you know, and then for you to go off and report me, yeah, you know, to someone um, would be, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a betrayal, you know. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, you wonder what's happening in people's minds to do that, but I think it is, it's so fear-driven and it's so, they want acceptance in that group that that's mm. what you do. Mm. That's what you do. You've got to look out. So. But, you know, a lot of married or, you know, young pre-married couples, right, engaged couples, you can't tell me that there's not a lot of, Hanky panky going on there. There'd have to be, you know, when the two people love each other, they're, you know, in their twenties, you know. Hundred percent. I mean, for me, I mean, I was in that scene, and I did, I did get uh, engaged and married while I was there, and I can tell you there was a lot of hanky panking fooling around. Um, I actually passed to be who you refer to. Um, had we had gone in there for some pre-marriage counselling, so they insisted on pre-marriage counselling before they would actually marry you. So this was several months out. Now this time, um, my um, my fiance, she had, through a series of events, she'd been living with her family, family had moved away, she had to move somewhere. My parents um, said, why don't you just move in with us? So effectively, for the eight, 12 months or whatever before we were married, we were living together. This hadn't come to the attention so when you say living together, yep. sharing a room? Well, technically we weren't. We were in two <laughs> rooms, but I can tell you that every night we shared a room. Right. Um, so absolutely. And, you know, Pastor B had come across this. and he. So he heard about this? He had heard about it. And and so, so someone had looked out for you? Oh, yes, someone <laughs> had been on the lookout. And, and he started questioning us about it. And he said, what are you doing? Are you sleeping together? Are you... And what, he, did, what did you say to him when he asked you how you sleeping here? We said no. Um, okay. So you lied? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, but he, um, there was a lot of pressure. And so I started talking to him and maybe I was trying to justify it. Well, not maybe. I was trying to justify it in my own mind at the time. And I was saying, you know, looked up and in, um, you know, Jewish families quite often if people get engaged, they move under the one roof and it's almost seen as a bit of a trial period. And there's also guidance from the families to make sure that, you know, they, they know what they're heading towards, blah, blah, blah. And he said, this, this isn't about, about Jewish families. Mm. You know, this is, we don't do this. Mm. So he was... We're quite, not Jewish. We're, <laughs> we're not Jewish. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he, he was very clear that what we were doing was wrong. But it was really interesting, his response, because at that time I was, I was a fairly senior leader in, the, in this church. And, um, in the youth. In the youth. In the youth, yeah. yeah. And I didn't have a... Um, and I was studying there at the time. So I, I was studying um, theology and I was in you know, full-time Bible college uh, mm. for, for at that time. So, you know, I, I expected some sort of... Um, backlash. Backlash, but there mm. wasn't. He actually, he said, not happy, not pleased with this. We don't endorse this. Um, you know, you should be living separately, separately until you're married, blah, blah, blah. But um, he seemed satisfied and he ended up, he ended up marrying us. Although when he did 
pronounce us man and wife. He pronounced um, my then wife's name incorrectly and called her something else. So it was... Cool, cool. (laughs) You know, when you say that he accepted it or, you know, let it go and everything, that surprises me. It really surprised Especially me. if you're in leadership and you're in Bible college and all that. I would have thought that they would have said to you, oh, the, the standard is higher. Yeah. Because that's the kind of stuff we used to get. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, and, and maybe some of it was we're only a couple of months out from getting married and you thought, well, nearly at the finish line, we'll let mm-hmm. it go. Um, I'm not sure. Little did he know you were leavening the whole lump. You were well, <laughs> poisoning the whole body, dude. Well, that's right. I mean, I... I if I had been able to bring that place down from inside, obviously I was close to it. So yeah, look, it was for me. I didn't actually. I, I empathised with him though mm. at, at the time um, because I thought, oh, you know, he's doing his job. Mm. And and he's, so what? What? What made you resist? Was it a financial thing, or was it that you just wanted? You didn't want to be separate. You guys were in love, and uh, it, it was more so. Yeah, like she. Um, she didn't really have anywhere to go. She was only working part-time, didn't have that. She'd actually tried living with um, one of the youth pastors at this this place and it just didn't work out well. One of the, his his family, he and his family. Yeah, he yeah. and his family. So, um, oh yeah, God forbid she lived there just yeah, with well, him. Just oh, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that didn't work out too well. They were very intrusive. They wanted to know every detail of where she was going and right. when, if she'd come home too late, it's like, what have you been up to? Where have you been? Mm. So in the end, she just said, look, I can't handle this. My parents said, hey, just move in here. And um, there we went. So, yeah. but it was, yeah, it was, there was a lot of focus on the individual or the individuals um, rather than the the whole of the, the church's response. And, and so... Did you feel guilty when, when yeah. you guys, yeah? 100%. And we were like con- shockingly guilty or just kind of, oh, well, nah. confess, move on? Well, pretty guilty, confess, move on, do it again. Do it again. Um, <laughs> confess, move on, do it again. It was a, it was a cycle. We are stuck in a cycle. Um, but it was, yeah, it was interesting like that. I think it's just a, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it was something we just had to get through and, and we also saw the finish line and went, ah, we're nearly married anyway. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So. And, and that's when you start to justify it to yourself, don't you? You start to say, well, we're married in the eyes of God. Now it's just the paperwork. Yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and there was a lot of that because there was a lot of unpacking the theological part of it. It was like, ah, well, we're, you know, we're yeah. already married. Yeah. Technically. I, I used to look at sort of the American church, right, as, as, as a you know, parts of the Australian group, we'd look across and they just seem to be a little bit more flippant with the whole sex thing. Yeah. Especially the young people, you know, like they're all Christians okay. and they're born again and they're speaking in tongues and they're baptised and they're doing all that. But the whole sex thing for them seemed to be a lot more permissible. Yeah, okay. I don't know why. Yeah. And, you know, even though it's the mother culture, for us, especially as Pentecostals, a lot of it came from America. I just felt that we were more... Um, uptight, more pure yeah. about sex than they were. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, I mean, I don't even know what was behind that, but um, and maybe it was just the scene we were in. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure whether you know other less evangelical areas were a little bit more lax with it. I'm not sure. I mean, I remember there was a lot of stuff happening in Australia at that time, a lot of fear, 
around we had a campaign uh, around the Grim Reaper bowling and it was, it was bowling people one, over the yeah. AIDS campaign yeah. and so there was a lot of fear that I certainly had um, it, it drummed into me in, in true ways through society and be careful if you have unprotected sex you're going to get AIDS and you'll die um, and the church going see this is one of the things that happened this is a curse that happens from it and this is an, a, an effect on society when they step outside of God's will of having sex inside a marriage so so you had it sort of put to you that AIDS was literally a curse from God because of sexual promiscuity and homosexuality and all that 100% oh, yep that's yep. interesting it was it was definitely drummed into me that so and, you know, I, I think it just reinforced a lot of the other rubbish <laughs> yeah. at, at, at the time. So, and, and as you said before, you know, and I might have been in the last podcast, you pick and choose your truths which and connect them all together to make up your story. And, yeah, totally. And that's what happened. Th- that's the thing about, you know, we talk about fundamentalists being literalist with their view of the Bible, but they totally interpret and totally use things metaphorically oh. and, then, and then accuse someone else for being metaphorical about something that they're being literal about and saying we are the truth. Yeah, yeah, it's just a world, a big ball of hypocrisy, yeah, really. Yeah. So. yeah, so one of the things that I, I was thinking, I, I did some reading a little while ago, and there was a, an, an apocryphal gospel, meaning that it's, it's a gospel that didn't make it into the Bible. Okay. Um, and I think it's dated around the 3rd century. It might be a little bit later. Um, but it's called The Acts of Paul and Thecla. And Thecla was one of Paul's female disciples, according to ch- ch- church tradition. Okay. And, and without going too deep into it, and you know, please, it's available online. Go and have a look if you wanted to read it. But it's basically um, a gospel that is playing down sex, even sex inside marriage. Yeah. So Paul and Thecla were sort of held up as being amazing, even though there's this man and this woman traveling together, but they are totally celibate. Yeah. And this is God's will. You know, and, and it's almost like it's God's will for everybody, yeah. not just for Paul and Thecla. Um, and so it was interesting that the, that the early church was focused very much on this sort of sex is bad, sex is dirty, yeah. even inside marriage. Like that's okay, but really what you want to do is, is not do it at all. Yeah. And I think that sort of played itself out with sort of nuns and, and priests and brothers and all that within the sort of Catholic and, and Orthodox traditions that that became the norm, yeah. that became the, the higher path, was to not have sex at all. But I think we still see a lot of that in our experience anyway. There's still this kind of sex is, is dirty, Absolutely. sex is bad, even inside marriage. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like people in church, in the churches we went to, they didn't talk about it much. No. No, I remember actually having a couple of conversations with people about this, what's permissible within marriage. And I remember yeah, 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 a conversation yeah. about oral sex. Yes, yes, And yes. there was a very... I think I might have been in that conversation, man. Quite possibly. And and I remember um, the opposition was overwhelming against oral sex because mm. it's it's not... Didn't you go to something once and the guy was saying that the spirit of oral sex is called succubus? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was me. That wasn't that a, de- a, a demon thing you went to and the guy was saying, oh, the demon of oral sex is called succubus? It, it actually... I'm pretty sure it you told a, me that. It man. rings a bell. Whether you saw it or not, you told me that story and it was like, that's... Yeah. Um, I remember thinking... That's a bit convenient. It's comedy. It's called succubus. <laughs> it's comedy gold. <laughs> yeah, look, it's quite possible. I mean, some of that stuff was thirty years ago, so I can't remember everything. But I, it doesn't surprise me. It's uh, it 
quite a frightening scene. But uh, again, they'll do anything to justify. So, but yeah, that that whole thing, even within marriage, what is permissible, what is right, yeah. um, was very very interesting. And um, I, I remember thinking, God, there's just so many rules, mm. so many rules. And you know, not only are they trying to control what you do outside of marriage. But once you're married, what you do inside of that. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and if it's, it's remember, not about purity any longer. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because that's how it was put to me. Because I went to someone else and said, you know, what, what are we allowed to do? Yeah. And, and this guy actually said to me, he goes, I know what you're referring to. Like, we never actually said, <laughs> am I allowed to go down on her? Is she allowed to go down on me? You know, it married. Yeah. Um, that wasn't, we just like, what are we allowed to do? And what he actually said to me is he said, there's a verse in the Bible, I don't know where it is, said something about keeping the marriage bed pure. Yeah. And he said, as long as you're keeping the marriage, which is a non-answer. Yeah. Right? So so we just did what we wanted. Yeah. You know, my, my wife then in church, we just we just did what we wanted and tried to, you know, I, I think, and, and in one sense, the advice was kind of good because what he, what he was actually implying was, if one of you is not into it, yeah. then the other needs to be sort of considerate of that well at least that's the way i took it yeah. maybe that's not what he meant at all yeah. maybe he just meant you know get succubus out of your <laughs> out of your experience or whatever yeah well i remember i mean even if you know pre-marriage it's talking masturbation and, oh you know, man i mean how how what a fucking god don't get me started the amount of guilt and shame and oh. fucking everything I, you know in the end i was doing it because it was like they told me it was the thoughts that were bad <laughs> so i would just i would do it and not think right i was a fucking buddhist fucking that, wanker that sounds really boring i would well i would like just not think about it right think about the cricket or whatever <laughs> and just you know yeah i'm very concerned that you could do it thinking about cricket but anyway yeah. um yeah. <laughs> i think i made that up. each yeah. to their own i mean i don't think you made that up it's a first thing you come to your mind um, <laughs> but whatever you know whatever floats your boat but yeah, it was it was all consuming and i remember people um again having arguments and counter arguments around masturbation pulled from scripture um again no pun, no pun intended, um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was and, and i remember this one guy in particular who you know we should have called him salad because he's obviously a mad tosser, but he just justified it through scripture. And it's just like, dude, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't care. Have, yeah. a, have a pull. But see, this is where you and I are very different. And I guess this is where, you know, depending on where you come from or your personality type or whatever, people have very different experiences of yeah. this. Because I, I wrestled with that to a point, but then I just, eventually I came to the point and said to myself, ah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because they, they, the one that they throw at you is when a man looks, if you look at a woman lustfully in your oh, heart, yeah. you, you might as well have done it. Yeah. But the thing is, as, as a teenager or as an early 20-something, you do that all the time. Oh, absolutely. And so it was constant guilt. So yeah. you might as well whack off. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I think it's a good philosophy. See, we've loved talking about this so much. So yeah, I can we've see gone we've, over we've gone over a half an hour. So yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think there will be more than one on this. And, uh, you know, lots more stories come to mind even as we've, we've spoken about this. So we will take that into another episode. So what should we call episode. this episode? We said it was sex in the church. I don't give a toss. I don't give a toss. All right, that's what it'll be be called. So I hope you've enjoyed I Don't Give a Toss. (laughs) See you later.